Can you just record it and then send it up? All right, today we'll be in the Gospel of St. John, chapter 11. John, chapter 11, verses 1 through 29. The death of Lazarus, the blindness of the people. In our last study, Jesus had left Jerusalem. The Pharisees were gathered in their masses, just like witches at black masses. Evil minds that plot destruction, sorcerers of death's construction. Whose? Jesus, the Lord's. His time's growing short. He had returned to where it all began in his ministry, the Jordan River, where his cousin John the Baptist had been preaching and baptizing. Emphasis on the word had, as John, by this point in time, is dead and gone. This is his last time, the last time Jesus will be by the Jordan River. He's teaching all those who came to him, and as the last verse of chapter 10 made clear, many believed on him. And then comes the call, wherein Jesus will be called upon to do his greatest work in a world of unbelief, raising a dead man back to life, a true apotheosis of his ministry, at least up until the resurrection. Now, before we hop into God's word, there's a few things I, I want to clarify. Um, as we've noticed for the previous chap 10 chapters, and as I mentioned at the very beginning, literally a year ago this very month, October, John is a very dense and tightly written gospel. It's very, very tight. And um, sometimes John moves over things very quickly. So you're, you're not going to read it the same way you would War and Peace or, or anything else, okay? And in this chapter, there's issues of uh, uh, time and space that are kind of choppy, like where are people located, what time between this event and that event. Uh, sometimes it is clear, John will say, and two days later. Other times... Somebody came to meet Jesus. Next thing you know, it seems like you're at the, the other person's house. It's like, wait, wait, how did that happen? Uh, verse 2, which you're going to see, is kind of a, uh, a sidebar note that was put in or either by St. John or one of the translators early on to clarify which Mary John is going to be talking about here. And that happens in many, many chapters uh, throughout the New Testament. But again, this chapter, it's, it's, it's just a little bit tricky. It's, it's, you know, it's still the word of God. It's still accurate. But it, it's tricky to read. There are things that Jesus says where you're thinking, boy, he, he didn't mean, mention that before in the Gospel of John. Maybe it's in the Synoptic Gospels. And, or maybe it's in a private conversation that was never even recorded so you have to be mindful of it, because some things are just kind of vague. So with God's help, I'll, I'll do the best I can to uh, bring to light some of those things. So uh, with that said, let's attend to God's word and begin a journey from Jordan to just outside the city of Jerusalem, uh, wherein the Jews and possibly death await our Lord. John chapter 11, verse 1, hear God's word. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. 
It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. Are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he'll recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, Let us go also that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, but about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming... She went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she, Mary, heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Thus ends the reading of God's word. So as we saw, there's lots of twists and turns in terms of time where you think you're two miles away and suddenly you're there at the house. But then it's like you're not quite there yet. But the main thing is to focus on is the interaction between Jesus and, of course, Martha. Our Lord received the call to duty first and foremost from the Father who sent him, as previous chapters have made abundantly clear. Yet this call is from friends. Your dear friend is ill, please come and help. Yet Jesus does something that is just totally bizarre and unthinkable. He notes what has happened, but then he stays for another two days in the place they were. Were they still at the Jordan? Were they halfway between Jordan and Bethany? When the call came, we don't know, John is silent. 
Yet, why isn't he on the move? Is he afraid to go to Bethany because it's close to Jerusalem? Speaking to his disciples, Jesus makes it abundantly clear why he did not hurry upon receiving the message from the sisters of his dear friend Lazarus. Essentially, he's going to let the man die so that he would reveal his true power and might. And as he said to his disciples, this is basically for your, no, not basically, this is for your benefit. He's making a point to them. This is a theme that God has allowed us to see in the Old and New Testament many times. I, the great I am, of heaven and earth, am about to do the impossible. Wait for it. Yet, what we are faced with in this chapter is not only the famous story of Lazarus, but once again, sadly, the blindness, the distraction of the Jewish people, including his disciples. Jesus has healed cripples, sick people, blind people. He's escaped death. Yet the people remain fearful, doubting, blind. Blindness that has encapsulated the words of his disciples that essentially meant they tried to stone you last time. Are you sure about this? Or the blindness of doubting Thomas. Eh, let us go die with him. As, as if to say, well, we're going to go get killed if we go to Jerusalem, but so be it. Let's just go with Jesus and we'll just die. All that after Jesus stated clearly what the deal was. Verse 4. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified. And again, in verse 14, then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. Well, let us go to him. These two verses, although separated by a few days, I'm sure gave the disciples pause for thought. Yet, they were not effectual in the disciples' hearts and minds, as our friend Thomas uh, made clear before the break in the verses. Lazarus has died, and the Lord did not come to help. How could this happen? Why did this happen? Doesn't he care? You could tell by the words the people spoke, that's kind of what's circulating amongst them in spite of what he clearly stated in verse 4 and verse 14, right? There was no expectation of what our Lord would do, just a strange foreboding about going near the city of Jerusalem, as Thomas's words make clear. And that, that, after Jesus had reminded them all, that as long as they follow the light, they will not stumble, but remain faithful doing the Lord's work. Because that is the only thing that is important. The Lord's calling, the Lord's work, the Lord's guidance while doing that work. In other words, the thing they fear, the thing, excuse me, the thing to fear is not death. But walking in darkness as a natural man, not in tune with what God has called Jesus and them to do. Jesus is merely echoing what he told them before in Luke chapter 12. Do not fear those who can kill the body, rather fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. In other words, look beyond the obvious as to what's really going on here. Do we look beyond the daily difficulties of life to see what God is really showing us? 
Or are we like Martha, as we're going to see shortly, caught up in the nuts and bolts of the day to the point that we really cannot see what's going on with the nuts and bolts of the day, or the old expression, they can't see the forest through the trees. Now, the city of Bethany is about two miles from Jerusalem, so it makes sense they would be frightened. But still, don't they trust him yet? Next, our text shares that someone had run ahead to the home of Martha and Mary to share that Jesus was coming. What must be understood is that Lazarus is dead. Dead as a doornail, to quote Charles Dickens at the beginning of Christmas Carol. If you don't understand that, again to quote Dickens, then the point of the story is going to be missed. And yet something unsettling happens. Martha leaves the house not to greet Jesus, but to accuse him. And in the same breath, ask him to do something. And of course, that's the spirit of Martha. She's a practical, no-nonsense woman. And she's clearly caught up in the things of the day the things of this world, and thus she doesn't always connect the dots. Who is she dealing with here? What has he done in the past? So let's hear God's word once again, verse 20. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary. So, Martha has made her little speech to Jesus, asked what she did, receives a theological lesson from Jesus, and essentially says what we would say in our modern tongue, Yeah, yeah, I know all that. And then she turns on her heel and marches back the way she came, all the way to Bethany, to tell your, her sister, the teacher is here and calling for you. Again, the transition time, it's kind of awkward. It's like, he's already here. John doesn't really clarify. It's a strange verse, as nowhere do we know what else, if anything, was said or really transpired. How long did it take Mary to get home? John gives us no record as to whether Jesus said, go get your sister. Is John forgetful? Did he think it just wasn't important? Is Martha lying? Or is she just exasperated as in Jesus is coming, you go talk to the guy. Either way, it's not good. But again, this is Martha, always fussing and fretting and quick to spout off. Case in point is found in the Gospel of St. Luke. You can turn there if you want. Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 10. Chapter 10, verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. 
She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. And here we go. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things. Martha's in a danger zone. She's caught up in the things of this world, as Jesus notes in his parable of the four types of ground in Matthew 13. She's always agitated and always seems to have an excuse, as easily agitated people always do. Well, the reason why for that is because I had to deal with this, that, and the other thing, right? Are you an agitated person? Are you a Martha? Yet our Lord is patient and speaks kindly, yet pointedly. Verse 42. But few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. Implicit in Jesus' words to Martha and us, and us, are you worried about that which is most important? Are you attentive unto me and what I, the great I am, say is important? Or are you just along for the ride? Returning back to our text for today, if we look at this, it seems as if the disciples and Martha are along for the ride. They misunderstand things, Jesus says. They doubt things, Jesus says. They put the worst spin on things, Jesus says. They ignore things, Jesus says. They repeat doctrine for what Jesus said, but are really thinking about other things. And these are the disciples of Jesus. Even more unsettling, and we'll see this next week, is the fact that our dark lords in their black robes gathered like witches at black masses respond to the most fantastic, the most amazing of all Jesus' miracles, the raising of the man from the dead by wanting to kill him and Lazarus. But we'll see that part of our story next week. For now, let's attend to prayer and ask God to remove any blindness and doubting in our own hearts and minds. Let's pray. Almighty God, unto whom all hearts are open, no secrets are hid, and all desires known, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts and minds that we may worthily magnify thy name. We ask you do this by the power of the Holy Spirit so that we may keep the faith once delivered unto the saints. Amen and amen.